So it's not about, you don't celebrate giving up smoking when you've been for 12 months without smoking. You actually celebrate that week where you had one day and you didn't smoke. Mm -hmm. That's worthy of celebrating. Yes. Celebrate that you're moving in the right direction. Mm. We need to celebrate more, especially as Aussies, we don't celebrate anywhere near enough. Hi friends and welcome to season three of Live Life Well, the podcast. Our mission is to end burnout culture by empowering world changers to burn bright and not out so that they can live a life full of purpose, joy and delight. My name is Amy Leong and I'll be sharing the life-giving practices and lessons that I've learned on this journey of failing forward. As a former lawyer turned leadership and wellness coach, we'll be talking about holistic wellness, servant leadership principles, self-care, mental health and spiritual health, and other things close to my heart, such as social justice issues, the power of mentoring and being mentored, creativity in the workplace, and the current global pandemic. I'm dedicated to share from a place of authenticity and I'm going to give you VIP access to my conversations with wise mentors and guests. My hope is that by the end of each of these episodes, you'll have something you can apply to your life so that you can live it well. I hope that this also just feels like we are sitting across from each other over a nice cup of coffee or favorite beverage in a cafe somewhere in Melbourne and having a chat like old friends. Thanks for stopping by and let's get started. Hi everyone and welcome back to Live Life Well, the podcast. If you heard the little snippet of the interview that I had with today's guest, you will know that I am trialing a little bit of podcast editing magic. I actually have to say that it has been such a journey learning how to edit a podcast and I know I don't have it perfect. I actually had someone mention to me uh, that there were ways in which I can improve and there would be a dollar value, of course, associated with getting their help, which is fine. Like I have no qualms asking people for help and actually paying them for their services. But I think at this point in time, this podcast really is just a passion project. And of course, if anyone wants to help me fund um, someone to help me edit, go for it. I'm not going to say no. Um, But for now, I think it's been um, great just to be able to sit back, listen, and I still have the capacity and time to actually um, do the editing for now, but I know I will eventually um, outsource this. But all that to say, I have done my best to bring you the best quality of the podcast that I can. And today's guest is one of those people that I could just listen to forever. Like I just actually got off um, a call with Richard Patterson. So he's our guest today and he he's just a deep well. I don't know if you have people like that in your life where you're like, oh, I could just listen to you all day long. And he is just one of those champions of uh, justice and also just has such a big heart for people. In the interview, at the start of the interview, you'll hear how I met him. It was definitely one of those divine connections. 
Um, I have only known him for probably less than a month, um, but I already feel such a deep um, connection and affinity towards him. So I know you will enjoy this chat and he has a real passion for men's mental health, which is very topical, of course, because this is the last episode of October, um, which October has been mental health month here in Australia. So I was very honored to be able to speak to Richard. And just so you know, the episode will end, this particular episode will end a little bit abruptly because it is actually part one of two episodes because my conversation with Richard was nearly an hour long. And as I was listening to it, I was taking notes and I was like, oh, I think maybe just for the purpose of not letting any of the gold drop to the ground, I am just going to help you or maybe help even myself just to process it by giving us a bit of space between the first half and the second half. So I hope you enjoy the podcast episode. If you, you know, if you enjoy it, please share it with other people, do all the things. And I will obviously put the details for how Richard, you can contact Richard if you're interested in uh, what he is doing and have a chat with him via his LinkedIn profile or his website, Basics for Blokes. Let's jump right into the interview now. Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Live Life Well, the podcast. Today we have Richard Patterson, who is someone I actually met in a networking group only about a few weeks ago, Um, but we uh, found that we had a shared vision for mental health um, for um, the people who are struggling and finding it difficult to connect during this time, and we got into a conversation, and uh, it just seemed like Richard would be a perfect guest for our podcast. So welcome, Richard. Thank you for joining you. us. Lovely to be here. <laughs> yes. Um, so one of the questions I like to start with, as I mentioned before to you, is if there was one thing you could tell your 20-year-old version of yourself, um, what would it be? I reckon it would be to um to seek to be able to handle the tough times rather than um, avoid them. Mm. Because I found that my greatest learnings have been through the struggles and the difficulties that I've had. And I think I'm old enough now to understand that when things are tough, to have resilience and get through the tough stuff, not avoid it. Because Mm. every tough um, chapter that I've been through, and they, they've been some tough ones. Um, that's when the learning takes place. And I, I love that um, analogy that the most fertile soil is in the valley, not on the mountaintop. Mm. And most of us do our greatest growing through pain and struggle. Yeah. Um, and I think as as young people, as a young person, I tended to try and avoid difficult situations or challenging situations. Um, But I'm thankful that internally somehow I seem to have some resilience. And I actually think resilience is one of the greatest um, superpowers that anybody can have because that's the secret to get through the tough times. It's not to avoid them, but, you know, to get through them is Mm. the is the, I think, the healthy mentality. 
Wonderful. A long answer, wasn't it? Ah, that's okay. I didn't tell you how long your answer could be or should be. So, um, but it's definitely given me a lot of thought around um, resilience and, and how that's built. So I'm very interested to share with our audience as well, how you built resilience through your story. So I'd love to just, yeah, let you have the floor and share a bit of yeah. your story and then potentially how it leads into what you're currently doing now as well. Sure. Okay. So I, um, one thing that like going right back to early on in my life, I can remember as a primary school kid, um, when people said to me, what do you want to do when you grow up? I didn't even realize that they all meant what job do you want to have? Mm. Like I, my kind of natural wiring was that I thought when people said, what do you want to do when you grow up? I meant, I thought they meant, who do you want to be? And I, so I used to say, people say to me, you know, what do you want to do when you grow up? I said, I want to be a father and a husband. Mm. You know, that were the, the two things that just really um, excited me. Mm. And and probably I would have added to that, I want to help people. Um, and, uh, but then people say, no, what job do you want to have? And I, mm -hmm. I kind of looked at them weird and who cares what job you have? Like I didn't understand why does that matter? Um, you know, because I, and, and I would now in my, at the age of 57, I would now look at that, the way I would describe that is I, I've always had a wiring about um, who I am being is more important than what I'm doing. Mm. and I know it's a bit kitschy but you know that we're human beings not human doings oh so interesting that you say that if you don't mind me interjecting there yeah. because um I think I just had a recent guest as well and we literally talked about the same thing about um I think when we're children we we are actually taught in some ways and I wasn't as intuitive as you were but um thinking about that what we do was who we were if that makes sense and so that yeah. idea of like work being really linked in with our identity yeah. um so but yeah it's amazing that at such a young age for you you were able to distinguish between the two so yeah and I I've always um it's only fairly recently that I've become comfortable with it and realized it's actually a superpower it's not a weakness is that I actually think on different angles to other people um, and I see things from a different view, a different viewpoint. Um, and as a kid, I've, I've always integrated socially well, but like, I mean, not being arrogant, but like people like me, like I fitted in and I had friends. Yeah. And You're sociable. You're yeah, agreeable for with most people. Yeah, but there was something inside of me that felt like I'm a little bit different to everybody else. Um, and and even as a like a primary school kid, I used to spend a lot of time on my own, just thinking, I don't want to go down that path that everybody's going down. It just doesn't seem right to me. Um, and and I've never sort of desired stuff, you know, mm. like I've never, um, I mean, that's 
not true. There's two things in life that I have um, really sought after and desired, which is a Harley Davidson <laughs> um, and a really good coffee machine. Um, oh, yes. Can't go wrong with a good coffee machine. And, uh, and you know, in the last 12 months, I've, um, I've got both of those things. But Amazing. apart from that, I don't really desire stuff like I I really don't care about I mean I want a car that's comfortable and reliable but I'm not kind of into the image of being seen in a Ferrari or something it just mm -hmm. doesn't interest me um in fact I, I look at that and I think you know geez if I had if I had three hundred thousand dollars to spend I'd still only spend 40 grand of it on a car <laughs> and I think how many fresh water wells could I fund you know mm. in third world villages you know, and, and give and, and create a legacy, you know, um, mm -hmm. that's, that's always been more important to me. Um, so you're so, more values driven, I think, like, yeah. and, and it, it comes down to, you know, character and, and things that probably shaped you as a kid as well, which yeah. kind of Which is really, you. it's the, the irony of it all is that my parents, whilst they weren't materialistic, they were super, super um, security driven. Mm -hmm. That everything was about, like at, when I was in year nine, I've always loved cooking. And in year nine, and I, I love cooking and I love the ocean. So my 15 year old self thought the perfect way to fulfill that would be to get a, um, an apprentice as a chef in the Navy. Oh, you know? okay. Yep. And and then even, like, I, I was even thinking it through then and I thought, I found out that I did some research on the armed services and found out that after 18 years you could retire. <laughs> uh, and I thought, if I joined at 15, then by the age of 33 I can retire yeah. and, on, and on a pension, yeah. you know, a, a military pension. Yeah. So then I could have my own little restaurant. Yeah. You know? You had it all planned out. Um, so I thought all that through, but my <laughs> mum and dad said, "No, no, no. You've got to, um, you know, it's not, you can't have a very secure future as a chef. You know, you work long hours and it's very competitive and it's not secure. You've got to stick with it. You know, go to uni. Um, mm. So then, a little while later, I love writing and I love expressing myself. And I thought I'd love to be a journalist. And um, so I researched that, and mum and dad sort of dissuaded me. Um, I'm doing that because it's so competitive and it's, you know, it's not secure and blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, for them it was all get a job with a multinational or, or government, you know, that's how you get your security. And, um, you anyway, know, I ended up doing primary school teaching um, at uni and I must confess that my um, lazy self no, it's not lazy. It's um, uh, um, sensible, <laughs> I suppose, in a way. Um, resourceful, that's the right word. My resourceful self, I ended up doing primary teaching because I thought that'll keep mum and dad quiet and I can stay at home and get looked after by them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but also that was... Um, the lowest number of contact hours at uni, mm -hmm. yeah. <laughs> the cost that I could fulfil with the least amount of effort. So um, strategic, I, I would say. Yeah. You were yeah. strategic. 
yeah, strategic <laughs> and resourceful. That was uh, <laughs> yeah. so. That was so. Then I ended up doing teaching. But then when I finished uni, I went off and did, um, you know, went into sales and stuff. And then I was in real estate and I was doing quite well. And bought a nice car that went way too fast and um, got booked um, and lost my license for a while. Mm, um, mm -hmm. So I went and taught then um, because I'd, uh, uh, I couldn't drive. I couldn't do real estate if I didn't have a license. Oh, yeah, of so course. I went and taught then. And um, then I went, when I got my license back, I went back into into the business world and did various things. But along the way, I was always involved in um, voluntary work in charities, working with sick kids. Mm. And um, so that kind of work just paid the bills in order to do the work. Like, you know, I helped out on camps with sick kids and mm. did wishes through the Starlight Foundation yep, and the yep. Make-A-Wish Foundation for sick kids. And, and then I realised in that, along that journey that um, the brothers and sisters in the families who I was doing wishes for, the brothers and sisters of the sick kids really felt left out. Mm. Um, and, and my basic understanding of developmental psychology that I did going through um, uni with education was I realised that kids that are in the egocentric stage of their development they understand their value, they measure their value by the amount of attention they get, which is just what happens in the egocentric stage. Mm. And I thought, these kids are missing out on so much attention. Mm. What sort of a stain is that leaving on their personality for the rest of their life? It's true, yeah. And um, so I ended up at that stage, I was the state sales manager for a, an international franchise chain. And... Um, I, I then just quit my job and um, just started going and visiting the families who had done wishes for, mm. specifically to spend time with the well brothers and sisters. Um, just I went there for them. Wow. Yeah. And um, and then I just started real, and the parents were so appreciative because this was something that nobody else had kind of identified. And then I started getting invited to because my story was a little bit different. Mm -hmm. um, from being, you know, like having a really good future ahead of me in the business world mm -hmm. to walk away from that to do something. And um, so I started getting invited to speak at service clubs and at schools and all sorts of stuff just with this work I was doing. And eventually, in fact, it was funny, I spoke at one Rotary Club and one of the guys there said to me in question time, he said, um, what's your um, legal status? And I said, I'm an Australian citizen. And he goes, no, I mean your organisation. <laughs> what What do you mean? <laughs> I didn't even know. I didn't even know that yeah. you're supposed to do that stuff with an organisation. I don't yeah. know how you set up. I didn't know. I was just naive. Just helping people. Yeah, yeah. just doing what you felt you, you should do. And yeah. Things. And yeah. I just, in my childlike way, I just thought <laughs> they need help. So yeah. mm. I'll go and help. Mm. And I never thought through the practicalities of it. And yeah. um, so that led to that guy helping me set up um, a charity for supporting kids with sick brothers and sisters mm, and did that for a number of years. And then um, what I realised then was that a lot of the organisations looking after the sick kids 
Um, they didn't want to, and this is not a criticism, I, I totally understand why, they didn't want to introduce another organisation to their families. Mm-hmm. They would prefer to set up the sibling support program under their umbrella okay. and work with their families yep. in-house, yep. which I totally understood. So then that role from having been an organisation where we had volunteers and we, we went out and did the work, I found it was more efficient for me to work with other organisations as like an implant in their mm. organisation and develop a sibling program and then move on yes. somewhere else. Yeah. Which meant awesome. that basically our our charity became redundant um, mm. because the other people were doing the work. And in that, one of the good things in that process was we developed a relationship with one of the universities in Melbourne, the psychology department, and got... Um, some of their students studying the psychosocial impact of childhood illness on the siblings. Mm -hmm. So quite a bit of research work was done. And then that grabbed the media's attention. And I had quite a lot of, spent a lot of time in the media talking about like advocating for the kids that had um, siblings with extra needs um, and how the strain on the families had affected the the world kids. and then I went back into kind of the, the normal business world and uh, partly because I got married um, and needed to be a bit more secure with the way things were done. Um, and then as a family, we experienced seriously deep tragedy um, in our family, which resulted in me um, being a single dad. Mm. Uh, so from the age of four, from the time he was four, I raised my son, who's now 20, mm. um, raised him on my own. Wow, yep. Um, which was really tough. Um, and that, that in, involved a whole lot of legal stuff, um, eight and a half years of litigation, um, mm. and which was just really taxing on my health. Yep. And during that journey, um, I was diagnosed with a pre-cancer condition. Mm. And because of going through really horrendous litigation, which Mm. is probably part of the reason for the health problem, um, but because that was so encompassing um, and and just the, the needs of raising a child on my own, and recognising the extra emotional needs that he had because of the complicated family experience that we've had. Mm. My health was at the end of the line. It was the caboose on the train. Um, And so I just kind of went on doing life with this pre-cancer diagnosis for about two years. Mm. And I honestly woke up one morning and the first thought that I had was um, what happens to Dylan if this becomes cancer? Mm. And all of a sudden I thought, jeepers, I need to own, I need to take ownership of my health. Mm. And yep. literally from that day, I took ownership yep. of my yep. health, mm. which as you can see behind me, I had a purpose to get well. Yep. And once I found that purpose, the process found me. Mm, it's, yeah. it's just bizarre how 
how the um, the process when you when your purpose is strong enough, the way to fulfil the purpose will just become really obvious to you. Mm, when the purpose is strong enough, the process becomes clear. Yeah. And to cut a long story short, I lost. Um, since then, I've lost forty six kilograms. So I now at 80 kilograms and used to be 126. Oh, wow. Okay. Um, and, you know, really owned my health after mm. that. And um, so a few things have gone on and I, I moved back to Melbourne. I was living on the Gold Coast for about 15 years and I moved back to Melbourne where I grew up to help my ageing mum. And, um, and I had a contract with a children's charity that I was very, you know, excited about and then COVID hit and that oh, cancelled yep. that contract got cancelled and then we had a restart and it's cancelled again and yeah uh, and I just had lots of time to like most people in Melbourne I had lots of time to think. Yeah. Um and one of the and I, I'm not even really sure what triggered it, but one day I just I had this realization and and I think for all of us Life is full, life's a journey, but turning points come at moments. Mm-hmm. You know, like they're yes, I can moments agree. when something happens. Um, and one of those moments was for me when I had that sort of epiphany about my health. And um, another one of those moments came when a friend was telling me that his mate who was in his early 40s, had just had a heart attack, had been, you know, perfectly healthy, just had a heart attack and died. Mm. Like it was mowing the lawn at home or something. And for some reason I just thought, why is it that we only ever hear of men suddenly dying with no health issues prior? Mm. You just don't hear of that happening to women. And I thought, what's that all about? And I started talking to a friend who's a doctor and just over a beer, we went, hey, why? Like, what is this? Anyway, the outcome of that conversation was that, um, and this is just a hypothesis, mm-hmm. um, but it kind of makes sense and it resonates, I think, that when girls go through adolescence and puberty, most of the time those changes that are happening to them sort of biologically um result in them having to visit the doctor Mm. so that at some stage in that changing process they have to engage a doctor as part of that what's going on and then when women have babies while they're pregnant you've got to go and see the doctor regularly and then when the baby's born Mm -hmm. then you have to see the doctor regularly then when the baby becomes a kid like a a, a toddler child whatever it's usually mum that takes the child to the doctor Mm. So women are really accustomed to and comfortable with going to the doctor. Yep. Somewhere along the line, boys just don't, mm. we don't go to the doctor. Yep. And so it's not normal for us. So there's this inbuilt kind of psyche in the male mind that you only go to the doctor when it's an emergency mm. or when it's critical. Or when or, it's really, know, really bad. Isn't yeah. It? yeah. Like when, when the pain's excruciating, you know, mm. then you go to the doctor um, or if your arm's half hanging off, or, you know, whatever, <laughs> yeah. then you go to the doctor. Yeah. And then I thought, that's why 
we see these guys, probably those guys that allegedly suddenly die, probably had symptoms leading mm. up to that. But they thought, oh, she'll be right, mate. We'll be right. Um, a it's a very, very Aussie bloke kind of thing to think, isn't it? Um, yeah. Um, and and so then I think what happens is that they they have these symptoms, but then they don't do anything about it, and then suddenly the heart attack hits, um, or they don't get their regular blood test to find out that their cholesterol's really high, and they're you know a um, you know they're a, a stroke or a heart attack waiting to happen, um, and and we just don't do that proactive stuff. So um, in the midst of COVID, um, I started thinking along these lines and then I decided to um, to actually set up a program. But what also happened in the process was I saw a quote on Facebook one day that said, um, go to bed with a dream and, and wake up with a purpose. Mm. And that fitted with my whole thing about, you know, finding your purpose and then um, the process finds you. And and because I've had this contract with the charity and fallen over and then was reignited and then fell over, and I thought one night after I saw that quote that night when I went to bed, I prayed and I said, God, give me um, a purpose. Uh, give me a dream um, tonight so I wake up tomorrow with a purpose. And I just woke up at three o'clock in that, that morning with this incredible, incredibly detailed concept of a TV show, mm. which is based around a, a cooking show teaching men how to cook. Mm. But the idea is that there's a guest each week on that TV show who is a celebrity that everybody knows or that, you know, is well known that's had a health journey and overcome the health challenge and they get interviewed and they get taught how to cook something mm. so it's an opportunity yeah. for them to talk about the health journey but the cooking is the excuse yeah whole thing happened yeah so just miraculously once again i had my my purpose and the process just found me and just i sit today less than a year after that waiting for the contract to come back signed from a very high profile um, retailer in Australia mm -hmm. um, has agreed to fund the production of a pilot episode of that TV show. Oh, wow. To be pitched to the um, commercial networks. Yeah, okay, okay. And just all the right technical production people and everything have come oh. across my path and... I don't know if you follow the AFL at all, but Jared Roughhead, who played for Hawthorne, he's had a journey with cancer mm. and he's agreed to be our first guest. Amazing. Um, Amazing. So it's Fingers just, crossed, Chris said. Yeah. Yep. yep. Well, the contract signed. <laughs> well, the contract, they've agreed to it. Okay. So great. I've just, I've signed it and sent it back and I'm just waiting for the okay. counter signature to it come back. So much, yeah. it'll all, it'll all happen. Yeah. Um, it's amazing. So then that's going to be the, the runway, that'll be the marketing platform for our yeah. um, charity, which is called Basics for Blokes. Yeah, yeah. And Tell me and more about that. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm keeping it really, really, really simple because us blokes are simple. <laughs> um, yeah. And 
the idea of the charity is just to empower and encourage men to talk to each other about their health. Mm-hmm. And so what we're doing is I'm, I'm just about three quarters of the way through creating an online program for men. And so initially I started thinking, oh, I want to run a program to teach men how to talk about their health with each other. But then I was telling somebody about that and they said, oh, but the problem with that is that this guy said to me, mm-hmm. he said, I talked to people when I had was diagnosed with cancer and they, I told them I wanted to be kept confidential and they went and told other people. Yeah. And he said, so I'll never talk about my health to anybody again because mm. I've just lost trust and I don't feel yeah. safe. Yeah. So then I realised I had to flip that. And what I have to do is actually create a program that teaches men how to create a safe space for their mates to talk about their health. Mm. So yeah. what are we got to do for men to be equipped to provide that safe space for their mates to talk about their health. Yeah. So we're actually creating the space rather than creating the ability to talk about your health. Let's create safe spaces where mates can talk about their health. And I want to take that into the workplace so that we can yeah. do it online yeah. or I can do it and run, take it into a workplace and run it as a workplace workshop program. Mm, yeah. Um, so that's, that's what we're what we're doing there and also i'm setting up with this retail chain one of the other things that we're going to do with them is hopefully and once again they've agreed verbally just put it in writing um is that i'm going to start a group called the um called walk and talk time or what w-a-w-t and you know the power of being together because that's Mm. what's you know what is a measurement of power yes so that's why we're kind of working on that acronym and just by the way the online course is called uh the cavemen course mm. and the cave is an acronym for caring available validating and encouraging men Amazing. so that's where we get cavemen from <laughs> awesome um and then the what program will just really simply be a time where guys meet him in a particular spot at a particular time each week and they go for a walk together mm. and they talk to each other specifically focused on talking to each other about their health yeah Um, so it's healthy to get out and get fresh air and walk but also specifically create a a part of their week where they talk to each other about their health Mm. and hold each other accountable to say you know look mate i'm drinking too much um so what i'm going to do for this next week I'm I'm not going I'm gonna go for two days without drinking. Will you hold me accountable next week when yeah, we catch yeah. up? Keep me accountable. Um, or you know, I've got to, you know, I'm not gonna smoke on Sundays because that's family day. Mm. Um, so you know, I know that that'll be the start of me giving up one day. So mm. part of the underlying philosophy of all of what I'm doing is that um, we celebrate progress, not perfection. Oh, I love that. Yep. So it's not about you don't celebrate giving up smoking when you've been for 12 months without smoking. You actually celebrate that week where you had one day and you didn't smoke. Mm-hmm. That's worthy of celebrate. Yes. So yes. celebrate that you're moving in the right direction. Mm. We need to celebrate more, especially as Aussies. We don't celebrate anywhere near enough. Um, but it's all about progress. You know, and if you're trying to lose weight, then as long as the needle on the scales is going in the right direction, 
celebrate that. Don't wait yes. till you've lost 10 kilos. Mm. You know, the fact that the needle's moving in the right direction, celebrate that. Mm. Um, and I think once we do that and if we do it collectively, because we're created to be social beings, so I think if we do it together, um, we're, we're far more likely to have uh, successful outcomes. Yes. So, so the whole thing is keeping it simple and, um, and embracing it. And I want to I want to run a charity that blokes can say, Geez, I could do that and improve my health in the process. And one of the things that I didn't say before, really fundamental in my philosophical foundations, is that we are choosing specifically not to define health. Okay. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast episode. It was my joy and delight to bring it to you. And I do hope that it has given you some practical tips on how you can live life well. I would love to hear your feedback on what resonated with you or stood out to you. So please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or on our Facebook page. If you haven't already, please subscribe, like, and share this podcast with your friends, your family, your neighbors. And if you are sharing it on Instagram, make sure you follow and tag us at livelifewell underscore the podcast. You can also find me, Amy Leong, at underscore Amy Leong underscore on Instagram, where I share more resources on how you can burn bright and not burn out as part of my new leadership and holistic wellness coaching business, the Live Life Well movement. Thanks again for joining us and I'll see you in the next episode.